This podcast was made with Descript. Descript is a groundbreaking new media tool that allows creators to edit audio and video like a text document and create a realistic clone of their own voice for seamless edits. Please check out our Patreon at Asian Hustle Network. We want Asians to continue being meaningful and give back to the Asian community. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to our feature, we hope you become a patron. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Maggie. My name is Brian. And today we have a very special guest. His name is Jerry Ting, and he is the founder and CEO of Evasort. Evasort is an AI-powered contract management system, and it's on a mission to change how companies interact with their legal documents. Founded out of Harvard Law and MIT, Evasort has been backed by leading early-age venture funds. Jerry, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, super excited to have you, Jerry. Can you start off by introducing yourself and telling us about who you are, where you grew up, and we want to learn a lot more about you. Yeah, awesome. So I'm originally from the Bay Area, uh, born and raised in Fremont. Uh, grew up in a very Asian uh, high school called Mission San Jose, which I'm sure some uh, other Asian hustle network people are from. Uh, and then went to USC for undergrad, where I studied political science and marketing. And so went to law school thinking that I'll be a startup lawyer. I've always loved uh, working in tech. And so my first 10 clients uh, were all entrepreneurs and founders. And I realized that I had a quarter life crisis, you know, uh, 20, uh, just at, at 25 years old, you know, busting my ass to go uh, uh, take the LSAT, go to Harvard for law school. Mm-hmm. And I realized three months on campus that I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore. And uh, for Asian parents, that's a very disappointing piece of news. And so for me, I was wondering, you know, gee, like, you know, I worked as hard to go to law school. You know, it's a, it's a white collar career. You know, the, the pay is really good. I was going to go work at a big law firm in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, so what, what can I do instead? And that's actually when I met my co-founder, who actually was a graduate researcher at MIT focusing on AI. And I was thinking, gee, if I really don't like law this much, you know, maybe there's a way to automate it. And so uh, that's how we came up with the idea for Eversorts. Wow, that's awesome. And I think you bring up a really good point, too. I mean, you're brave enough to admit that law wasn't for you when you're almost at the finish line. Not a lot of people can make that pivot so directly. Like a lot of people are, I'm in it too deep. I'm working in two years, uh, see what happens. But, you know, you have that mindset where you want to see what else is out there. And I feel like in this type of situation, like the universe is like helping you out. You know, you're like, yeah. Hey, I want to do this. I'm not quite happy. And lo and behold, you, you met your co-founder when you started you know, your company, which is awesome to hear. And we want to hear more about your company. Like, how did you guys start Like, at the very early stages? Yeah, so I was sitting there um, in grad school, right? And um, literally questioning, like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And I think a lot of people in their 20s, um, early 30s, you know, especially during COVID, you know, I have a lot of friends who are like, maybe I don't want to work in finance. Maybe I want to be an artist. Maybe I want to open a bakery, right? So mm-hmm. I think a lot of us can relate with that with that message. Um, so I was sitting in law school having the same thoughts. Um, and what happened was in grad school, they had a lot of speakers come in. And these speakers were like, you know, C-level at, you know, big banks, Fortune 500s. And they're talking about their jobs. Hey, if you worked really, really hard on this path, 20 years later, 
here's where you're going to be. And I was like, that's not where I want to be. <laughs> I don't want to be there now or in 20 years. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was listening to their stories and I, and I thought, wow, like, um, one of the things I did do in law school, actually, I worked at BCG as a consultant. And mm-hmm. so I pride myself at understanding business challenges and problems. And these guys were talking about, hey, every day we have to open a contract. We have to read it. Mm-hmm. We have to manually do this. And accountants do similar stuff. Finance mm-hmm. professionals yeah. do similar things. And so everyone's kind of doing manual work and then glorifying it as um, professional practice. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, wow, that sounds odd that you can basically control F and then charge people $600 an hour to do that, right? And so I was, the idea was like, I'm from the Bay. I, I've always loved tech. If I can figure out a way to automate that where I can you know, use automation or AI to basically do what a lawyer or an accountant is doing, mm-hmm. then there's a huge opportunity here because if you can charge $650 an hour, if I just charge 20% of that, yeah. but I do it with a system, with an automated system, Hey, we're off to the races, right? So that's that's where the idea came from. It also was my personal frustration of my gosh, I don't I don't want to be doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's really cool to hear about that, and you know you turn a pain point into a business, and that's really innovative. You know, and this I feel like you you kind of understood what it took in order to start your business, and I really like what you mentioned before too regarding the career progression. You know, I feel like a lot of people go through three stages, right? They go through, I, I graduated college, I'm working my, my first job, and that's my career, like, this is what I'm going to do. And you find out a couple years later that you are incredibly unfulfilled and that you need more purpose in life. And the, the last thing that, you know, people go through their stages, like, it's passion. It's like, mm-hmm. I feel like you're at the passion stage now where, you know, you're, you're really successful in your company. Like we're looking you up earlier before the podcast. Congratulations on your series A, like amazing job. And you're at the point where I feel like you can definitely take a step back and sort of help others to get to their dreams and goals too. And we really appreciate that. I think it's also interesting that, you know, every business has a systems of agreement, right? And every business has to deal with contracts. Um, and it just it's just a part of business. But a lot of businesses don't even know how to read or review contracts. And they, I think they get intimidated about it, right? Mm-hmm. And it, start to, it starts to get to them because there's just so much text and so much language and, and verbiage that they don't understand. And you were able to figure out, you know, that pain point and figure out a solution for them. So I think that's really important to point out um, just for you to, you know, recognize that problem. Yeah, we also want to take a step back too, and I want to hear your your parents' point of view when you decided. <laughs> you know, it's like you gone to USC, gone to Harvard, yeah. and then at the finish line, you're like, "Mom, this is not for me." How do your parents? Yeah, um, crickets. I think skinny. <laughs> um, and it's funny because I did the typical Asian thing where I was like, "Hey, how do I like? Re- how do I like make something out of this?" Mm-hmm. So I worked at BCG and consulting my first summer. Uh, and then the second summer, I worked at Credit Suisse and Investment Banking. I was like, hey, what are all the things that are pay like a law firm and is prestigious like a law firm, but is not a law firm? Uh, and I realized I just didn't like any of them, to be honest. And so I was like, hey, maybe as a millennial, as somebody who has a lot of creative thoughts, mm-hmm. like I'm not really good at these entry level sort of white collar jobs. Mm-hmm. I remember when I went to BCG and they were like, hey, Jerry, your entire like two weeks was like looking at an Excel spreadsheet and doing sales comp forecast. I was like, gosh, that's 
somebody else will be really good at that, but not not me, right? Um, and so when I when I talked to my parents, uh, I think I I didn't really even socialize the idea with them until we had our first couple of customers mm-hmm. because my parents are really tough. Like they they're actually tougher than my investors. My investors <laughs> in the beginning were like, "Hey, it's early stage. You guys are working on the product. You're looking for product market fit." Uh, because the perspective that the investors have is that this is a long-term company. My parents were like, hey, you paid this much money for tuition and you're losing, the starting salary for an uh, entry lawyer is 190K a year, right? So you're, you're losing 190K and you're down the whole 200K for, for Harvard Law. When are you going to make 390K? That, that was the question. So mm-hmm. <laughs> very different perspective. Uh, and I had to tell them, hey, mom and dad, like I'm not an idiot. Um, this is not like uh, I want to go off and, and do something that's not going to be profitable, right? We Luckily, our third customer was Cox Communications, which is a, Very nice. one of the largest telecoms. And so I was able to build proof points mm-hmm. around my idea, the team that I recruited. My co-founder, he was the lead data scientist behind Uberpool Express. So the walking algorithm, he invented that. And I said, hey, you guys have heard of Uber, right? So I had to find all these social proof points to mm-hmm. go to my Asian parents and tell them, hey, I'm not, I'm not crazy. Mm-hmm. Was that the point where they started to believe in you, or was it still? Were they still a little, a little bit hesitant? <laughs> no, they. they uh, I'm the younger of two uh, siblings, and so mm-hmm. in, in Mandarin, I'm like Didi, which is mm-hmm. like little brother. So they said Didi is like up to his shit again. Um, you know, <laughs> ideas, um, and so it, it wasn't until really um, we hired our like 50th employee. Wow. And my parents that came to my office oh my Lord. and saw all of our tables. And my dad said, wow, you're like a real company. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think I've been doing for four years? Yeah. I love the proof points too. Cause I think that I think all Asian parents are like that, you know, mm-hmm. cause we're so conditioned to follow the traditional path of having a job, being stable, being comfortable. Yeah. But this idea of hustle and creating your own legacy is not, it's not, like they're not fully accepted by them. Mm-hmm. And when you think of it from their point of view as well, like they sacrifice a lot for us to get to where we yeah. are right now. And their idea of success is for you to have a very comfortable job, mm-hmm. you know, a very good life. And most people in their generation, our parents' generation, got into starting their own business because they had no other choice. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and if you, so I was, I was in LA as a journalist, um, I studied the the Rodney King riots and, you know, there was a big conflict between, you know, Korean store owners and the the riots and the injustice that was there. Um, But if you look at why there were so many Korean store owners in Koreatown, um, it's because they couldn't get other jobs because of racism and otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so entrepreneurship has been a way in our communities Mm -hmm. uh, as a way to uplift us. And and my dad's the same way. That's actually why I went to law school is that my dad came from, uh, Taiwan went to Oklahoma, got a master's in civil engineering. So he builds, he helps people design foundations, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of the racism that he faced in the workplace, he went off and started his own company, uh, mm-hmm. a small three-person company. Mm-hmm. And they were hit with a frivolous lawsuit uh, when I was in high wow. school. That's- and so, you know, his English is, is is fine, but it's not go to court kind of fine, right? It's more mm-hmm. like, right, business emails kind of fine. So mm-hmm. the first time I ever bought a suit uh, was actually to help my dad translate with his mediator. And wow. eventually we got out of the lawsuit for, for pennies, right? It was a completely uh, frivolous lawsuit, but that's actually why I went to law school is to help business owners uh, fight back against, you know, these sort of BS lawsuits. And so when I went to law school and I realized that I wasn't going to be doing that, I was going to be working for 
you know, big banks on Wall Street uh, representing uh, credit and debtors. I said, oh, this is not, uh, yeah. this is not what I wanted to be doing. Yeah, definitely. In retrospect, too, I, I feel like your company now is more in line with your values and you're helping more people on a, on a larger scale. Than yeah. Before. So I think it's, it's funny how the universe works in the, that way. And I'll share a story with you guys of what motivated me to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. uh, I worked at Yelp for a year between undergrad and law school. Uh, and I, I lived in Fremont, which is about an hour and a half by train uh, into San Francisco, where Yelp was. So I wake up at 530 in the morning. I'll be eating my avocado toast, getting to the, the parking lot. Yeah, you know, just my avocado toast. It was like super dark, it's like freaking six o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I'll see my friend's parents, actually, who mm -hmm. I look up to. And I go to their houses and I call them auntie and uncle, right? I'll see them parking with me in the parking lot, running the bar to try to catch the train. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm like 24, you know, I'm, I'm out here hustling. I'm, I'm making just above minimum wage at a sales job. And yeah. then I see my friend's families, uh, friend's parents like running with me to go to BART, but they're mm -hmm. in their 50s. Mm -hmm. right? and, I, and I wondered to myself when I saw that image, um, that's what the bamboo ceiling is. Right? Yeah. And I think that when, you know, the first generation, uh, our generation that came over or mm -hmm. the generation before them, you know, for them becoming an engineer, a, a doctor, a, a lawyer, that's, you know, that's a stable income and that's a huge achievement mm -hmm. as immigrants. But for, for my generation, how do we find success? And I think that that's what I talk a lot about to founders is um, whether, whether it's founder of a, a high tech company, high growth tech company like mine or uh, of a boba shop. Right. You know, both, yeah. in my opinion, you're hustling, you know, why do we do what we do and how do we build network and community around that? So I think yeah. what you guys are doing is awesome. Yeah, we love what you're doing too. We're a huge fan, you know, and what you mentioned before is, is sort of a disconnect between our generation and our parents. You know, like for us, like we worry less about survival and more about happiness. Yeah. Our parents are more about survival and happiness comes later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, I think it's hard for them to understand, right? Because like, like Brian said, they, they sacrificed so much and they gave up everything that they had back at home to provide us with a better future. And they expect us to have a stable job, right? And yeah. for us to go through the entrepreneurial route, a lot of people, a lot of parents are actually afraid to announce that their son or daughter is an entrepreneur, yeah. right? Because there's yeah. that stigma to like, oh, we don't know, you know, how much money money they're making i feel like a lot of asian parents they see success as like as long as you're making money and i'm seeing that money come in then okay then i can trust you right yeah, asian people yeah. love money yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure and so it's actually funny on that point my my first investor was like hey how do we you know how do we put governance around your guys' spending budget I was like, have you seen what I look like? Like I <laughs> half years without any VC money. Our first two and a half years in the bootstrapped. Yeah. Right? So, so that is, I think, you know, to, for me, to your question earlier about how do I convince my parents when they start believing me, Yeah. I, I put 60K of my own money in, right? So uh -huh. it wasn't like, DD has an idea. Like it's like, I'm working on this thing, right? right? Mm -hmm. And then I got engineers, I got data scientists, I got salespeople. Uh, and slowly, I, I bootstrapped the company two and a half years before we eventually raised our first, you know, coincidentally million dollars. Um, and, and now we've raised over $21 million. You know, we've crossed 100 uh, customers. Uh, we have almost 100 employees. Uh, and so now we're hitting a certain scale. Mm -hmm. um, but it's been, it happened really quickly, almost two years from, hey, our first check-in to now, 
you know, we're becoming the category leader in our space. And so uh, now, now they believe in me because yeah. like, we're in the news. So it's different. Yeah. yeah. So I'm very curious to know when you were bootstrapping for those two years, how many people did you have on your team and how were you compensating people? Were people, you know, working for free at a certain period or were you making sure, you know, everyone was getting paid? Yeah, it's, it's such a good question. And I think it's a question that people are scared to talk about. I'm very uh, transparent. Um, I paid the engineers more in the beginning uh, because they didn't have any other form of compensation. Yeah. Right? You write code and then it goes into GitHub and becomes a product. Um, but my, my sales team, uh, I actually, this is really the definition of Asian Hustle Network. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually hired friends from law schools nice. who had parents who were lawyers. And I was like, just go study your parents. Right? And then if you, cl- if you close the deal, I'll give you X percentage commission. Uh, so I took a page out of Herbalife, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> it, it was like, it's an eat what you kill type of model, right? Yeah. Um, and, and luckily, I, we actually did very well. So uh, almost all of my employees in the early days are still with me. Wow. And now they're directors or senior managers or, or VPs. But in the early days, um, it was actually really fun because no one believed in us. You know, we had this crazy idea. Uh, to your point earlier about contracts, you know, every time a company buys something, mm-hmm. sells something, hires somebody, takes out a lease or takes out a loan, there's a, there's a contract that goes under that. Yeah. Uh, and so for us, you know, we thought, hey, contracting hasn't been changed in 2000 years, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If you think about when writing first began, um, you know, you, you would say, hey, I'm going to give you a plot of land for a goat. There was a contract there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do we use AI and automation to transform how we think about that? Yeah. Um, and so for us, the vision was big enough where uh, I call my first employees volunteers. <laughs> not, not everybody was paid, including myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we thought it was for a bigger purpose. Right. And I think that for any founder in the early days, um, you have to have that North Star mission statement because mm-hmm. uh, things are going to suck for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't feel like it sucked. It felt like we were just in grad school. We were young. We were mm-hmm. taking a risk. We, we liked hanging out with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, we would stay late in the uh, in the working space that we're in. We'll order um, chicken nuggets uh, from McDonald's, mm-hmm. right? You get 20 for five bucks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll literally be working, you know, 2 a.m., 3 a.m., uh, but we all became friends. And I think that's um, – if you don't have the right culture, then that feels like – terrible because uh, yeah. when i was at 2 a.m at a bank i was like why am i here I'm not yeah. paid, you know for this and i was getting paid a lot and so it's all about culture at the end of the day yeah absolutely out of curiosity too i know you mentioned you know um you know going back to like the asian hustle theme right yeah was, was your company like a side hustle while you had a full-time job and i was like okay this is how i'm supporting my basic needs and needs so mm-hmm. i could hustle for what I, I believe in or did you just hop cold turkey I'm like, all right mm-hmm. i believe in this we'll figure things out and, and if it is the former, when did you decide to make that switch? Because yeah. I think a lot of people in Asian Hustle Network, they have that fear, like, I don't, I, I'm too afraid to make that jump mm-hmm. to become an entre- entrepreneur full time. And I'm very curious, you know, back to Brian's question, if it, if it is the former, when did you decide to make that jump? Mm-hmm. It was definitely the former, because uh, <laughs> I think the latter is kind of scary. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And maybe not, um, maybe not the recommended path uh, for most for most founders. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the typical story is, you know, I'm already working at Facebook. I have this idea, a pain that I'm, I had at work, and I'm going to spin off something to, to fix it, right? But um, you, you milk out the salary as long as you can because that's mm-hmm. your seed round. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so for us, um, we were lucky to be in grad school. And so um, we, we used the school as a platform where, hey, we may not be working, but instead of going out in bars 
uh, every Thursday night, which I, which I did still most Thursday nights. <laughs> you can sacrifice some of the sort of free time uh, to, to explore and see if you have something, right? And I think mm-hmm. for us, we did that for the first full year. The first full year was, hey, let me just go call on random customers mm-hmm. and, and tell them that, hey, I have this thing I'm working on. Will you pay for it, right? Because I, I think for me, you know, hard work is not necessarily just good, right? You, you need to be paid at the end of the day. And so what I did was I called customers and I asked them, hey, if I had this product, how much would you pay for that? Mm-hmm. Right? And I start to understand, okay, there is value here. Mm-hmm. Not every startup is a good idea. Most startups, in my opinion, are, are not good ideas, right? And so if you don't have a monetization strategy, then uh, I think jumping headfirst in is, is very scary and maybe not the best investment strategy. But mm-hmm. for us... It was two and a half years of bootstrapping. You know, we're paying every dollar we got from clients. We put back into the business for AWS hosting costs and otherwise. Mm-hmm. And then to answer your question, the time that we went full sort of turkey was when we raised our first round of funding. Mm-hmm. Now you have outside investors. Now it's not just a bunch of um, dudes hanging out. Uh, <laughs> um, that was the first time. But, you know, to be honest, I actually... Uh, I was actually going to go to investment banking. I had actually mm-hmm. signed an offer letter and had this uh, backup set up. Mm-hmm. And so when we closed our first round of funding, I, I had to call the VP and tell him I wasn't showing up. <laughs> Before you and started the job? It, well, I interned there. I got a return offer. Oh, okay. okay. And, and, and there's only six people in the group. And so uh, I was like, a, it was a big hit to them. Um, and, and I called him and I said, I was like, hey, uh, look, um, I'm sorry. This is kind of unusual, but I'm actually CEO of a company that just raised money and I'm not going to be there for the, for the fall cohort. <laughs> and, and he paused and he said, I've never heard that before. Having worked at a bank for 20 years. Uh, and I said, well, I'm sorry. I don't, it's not personal, right? I, I appreciate the opportunity you guys gave us in XYZ. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he eventually became friends with me. Um, he yeah. follows me on LinkedIn and, and a lot of the folks at the company uh, now like my post and sh- hopefully will share this uh, when it comes out. And so, mm-hmm. you know, hi to the credit suites group at uh, yeah. TMT New York. I think the great thing about that is that he could see that you were being super transparent and honest about it too, because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people juggling their full-time job and their side hustle, they 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 tend to hide their side hustle, right? And they yeah. don't say anything about it. So they live this- Oh, life. I hid it. I hid it until it was a real thing. <laughs> I hid it until it was a side hustle and I had to go air it out the dirty laundry. Um, but the whole time I was working, I was like, you know, jumping in the conference rooms at night, like, hey- <laughs> How's it going? How's the coding going? Uh-huh. Like, so it was a side hustle for a long time until uh, we raised outside funding. Yeah, that's that's yeah. amazing. And you know, you brought up the topic of culture too. And that's extremely important. I feel like it's extremely underrated mm-hmm. uh, as you're starting your company because all you really have is a strong morale, a North Star, <laughs> and a group of crazy people who believe in your vision. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was. And, and honestly, like I, I know, like, you know, you guys are founders as well, and there's other founders. Or yeah. listen to this. When we were six months in, uh, my my quote unquote employees, or I call them volunteers, mm-hmm. um, they would show up on time to work every day. Wow! And they'll pay for their own Ubers. Wow! And I and I thought, wow. And honestly, this is you know this actually gives me goosebumps even talking about it now. Yeah. But I'll sit there and I'll see these guys who pay for their own Uber, came right. to the free office that I put together, um, working on time, not without a salary. I'm saying they're losing money by being here. Mm-hmm. Right? If you think about that, how do you? That's not a job. That's a volunteer. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. they lost you know eleven bucks getting here. They're gonna lose another eleven bucks going back. Yeah. And so for me, it was 
that created actually the best kind of motivation was yeah. to help my guys actually make it meaningful. It, it wasn't actually about me or my parents or otherwise, but mm-hmm. it was for Riley and May May and Jake and me and Derek and those guys who mm-hmm. would pay for their own Ubers uh, to come work on my vision, which is, um, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really, really amazing. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, you know, I'm very curious to know, we were talking about the North Star and the mission and, you know, your volunteers, or so we call them, they were very passionate about your mission, right? Do you have any other points to make where, you know, it's important to point out in terms of like having your employees and volunteers are aware about? Because, you know, it's, it's very hard to have volunteers stay committed to a company if they're not getting paid, right? What other factors besides, you know, making a very clear statement on what your mission statement is um, are important in terms of making sure your co- your workers and your employees are committed to your company. I think this is where my New York background is actually helpful. I'm very direct. Mm. I was like, hey, you lost $11 on the way here. Did you know that? <laughs> you lost $11. Um, but uh, I, I really appreciate it. So, you know, I, I, I'm pretty good at sales since so I was helping them with their sales as a sort of a sales manager. Um, and whenever the dollars came in, the commission went to them. And so I was very clear, hey, you're, you are making an investment into your business, into your practice, and here is the model payout. You know, here's how much your stock's gonna be worth based on current growth rates in, in one year, three years, four years, five years. Here's the vision, and you can attach a dollar amount to that. You know, we, we knew that we couldn't guarantee that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we wanted to do was we wanted to quantify, hey, there's gonna be a reason why you do this. There's gonna be a reason why you're away from your wife and your kids and you're doing these things, right? Mm-hmm. And so I was extremely direct uh, about that. And I think that that level of transparency and trust uh, is why they stay with me and you know why they're still with me today. I love that. I love that. And I, at the end of the day, yeah, we're all motivated by something, right? And yeah. yeah. I, th- I think in, in the early days when you're in your early 20s and uh, you're, you're trying to work in a startup, you know, you, you want to be an equity holder. You want to mm-hmm. you know, have a, a piece of a rocket ship, right? And so uh, for mm-hmm. me, I knew that was the motivation and I, I called it out. Yeah, I love that too. And one more question to follow up on that. At what point did you start converting them over to full-time and did you convert all all your volunteers to full-time? Or do you have to be like, all right, I've only taken five of you guys right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great question. So um, eventually the term volunteer was no longer cute because they worked with me for two years. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Uh, so when we raised our first round, we converted everybody. Uh, and I think that was really cool um, because they, they were basically employees, um, just not getting paid, right? And we acted like employees. Um, we had Slack, mm-hmm. you know, we had an internal Notion page. Uh, we had a website with our bios on it. So uh, I think when you, when you start to go public and you, like, you, know, you guys you know, have bios in, in, your, in your slides, but when you start to formalize the roles and say, hey, you're going to do product, you're going to be an engineer, you're going to be a salesperson, you're going to be in marketing. When you start to formalize, I think that's when you go from a idea or like a garage startup to like, mm-hmm. hey, this is an early stage company. Right. I remember the first time we got called a company. I was like, who are you talking about? Oh, us, right? And, yeah. <laughs> and I remember the first time we got called a vendor. Uh, mm-hmm. It actually offended me a little bit. I was like, I'm not a vendor. We're like the, 
we're like the people who are like pushing change in our industry. But a, a, yeah. a client called us a vendor because they're they're paying us. And I realized, hey, that's a good thing to be called a vendor. Yeah. So while you were in the early stages of, you know, building your company, what advice do you have in terms of like how to position and title your employees? Because I think a lot of um, early startups and early companies, they title their employees a certain way. And let's say like you title someone director of something, right? And then you find out that their skill set is not aligned with, you know, that certain role. Um, I think that happens a lot because you're like, okay, this is the only person that I have in that field. So let's just like name them partner or name them director, right? So how did you determine like, you know, how you were going to title your employees? It's a it's a really really good question. I can tell you guys have been around uh, the block. That's not a question that other interviewers ask me. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a really good one. It's a really good one. Um, for us, we had certain growth assumptions about where we were going to be as a company. Mm-hmm. Uh, to my point earlier about how much do I think your equity is going to be worth in four years, we had certain growth plans, right? So um, some employees, if you give them an inflated title, they'll actually rise up to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, some employees are, and I've seen. F- Luckily, this didn't happen in my company too much because we didn't inflate the titles too much. Mm. But I saw other companies that were next to me who uh, would give like, you know, really young engineers a CTO title. Mm-hmm. And then and, and then that person has no architectural background whatsoever, right? Like, and so then you have to demote the person afterwards and put in a real, a real CTO. And so for us, you know, we were, we were clear like, hey, we're going to eventually have to hire, you know, a VP of engineering. We're going to eventually have to hire a VP of sales. And what these people look like is like maybe 20 years of experience, right? So maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're, you know, two clicks below, but here's a career plan for, eventually where you can maybe eventually grow into that role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, I put together career plans for my teams. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's a true leader right there. Yeah. yeah it's, it's funny because <laughs> I, I read a lot of books as I, cause I was, I was a young founder, right? And so I, I read yeah. a lot of books because uh, title inflation is one of the easiest things you can give people exactly. outside of monetary comp. Um, but if your company is going to grow like really, really quickly and you're going to put in a real CFO, a real, uh, VP of sales and marketing, um, yeah. you got to be careful of doing that because right. if you if you start f- fudging around with titles, yep. then you can create SVPs, SSVPs, right. SSVP squared. Yep. Like then it just <laughs> yeah. that means nothing, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I want to take a step back too and like understand your mindset mm-hmm. and you know your routines and how you develop such grit to start your company. Because listen to your story, your explanations it made it sound like it's extremely easy, but we know from an entrepreneurial perspective. Yeah. Nothing's ever easy in life. So you want to understand? Oh my God! How, it, it wasn't your mindset easy. and your struggles and how yeah. you overcome them. Yeah, uh, it, it wasn't easy. I didn't mean to make it sound like it was easy because <laughs> uh, it was. Well, I, I wouldn't say it's like it's hard either. I think it's, I think those are the wrong words to describe the entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. I think it's like your perspective of how to be happy and fulfilled as you go through it. Like if, if we said, hey, our goal is in Q1 of launching the product, we're gonna book half a million dollars in revenue, we failed. We will be failures by that definition. That wasn't the goal because I think we we tried to understand, you know, using frameworks like the lean startup model where, hey, you know, in that book they talk about, you know, it's driving it's driving in nimble like a car, not like a not like a big cruise ship, right? But how do we learn, how do we improve what does success look like uh, as small wins? And so for us, because we're all became friends with each other and because we were patient with the process, mm-hmm. it eventually worked out. Um, but I, I have so many stories and I'm sure every founder does where uh, my co-founder is, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a penny venture. Uh, so we're, we're in Boston. I had a meeting with a 
with a large client in New York. He mm -hmm. books me at 12 uh, a.m. red eye with a greyhound. <laughs> and I, I kind of have a tight, I have a tight back from uh, just, just my posture and all that. And so uh, it, it was the back seat of the greyhound next to the toilet. So I couldn't <laughs> lean the chair back. I have an 8, 8 a.m. meeting before they get to work because that's, that's the only time we can get. So I'm sitting in the back of the bus. Um, you know, I, I was telling him, hey, you know, somebody in Greyhound got their head cut off before. Uh, that was a story that happened a couple of years ago. Wow. So I'm telling him that story. He's like, shoot, we can't sleep now because, you know, we got to be alert. And so, you know, there was, it, the ticket was like, it was pennies, right? And yeah. so we went through those days, you know, two and a half years of no funding and every dollar was actually, I'll take my team out to Starbucks. That was my credit card that I swiped with, right? And so mm -hmm. when you do that, you learn like, hey, every dollar matters. And so for us, if we didn't have the belief that this is going to be a billion dollar company and we didn't know that, you know, we're going to be successful if we build the product, um, it wouldn't have worked. Um, but it was... I wouldn't say it was hard when we were going through it. We, we kind of laughed at the situation that was in front of us. And we always said, hey, one day we're going to write a book. You know, one day we're going to write a book. And um, this is one chapter in the book when Jake came in the back of the goddamn Greyhound and almost killed me. That's <laughs> a chapter in the book. And so we had this perspective of uh, it's a process and we're going to just go along the journey. I think that kept us alive. Yeah. A lot of companies died that we started with next to us. Uh, product market fit issues, pricing issues, team members got recruited by Facebook, blah, blah, blah. You can name the reasons, right? Uh, yeah. We survived like the, the valley of death. Yeah. That's really amazing. I love that perspective. And just kind of echoing off of Brian's question in terms of your mindset, were there any failures that you had along the way? And were there any moments where you felt like you, you were just crumbling inside with your co-founder? And you know, how were you able to present yourself in front of your employees. I know like, as a leader, you have to, you know, make sure that everyone knows that you're confident, you know, in, in your company and your mission, yeah. but I'm sure there were, you know, struggles and, and speed bumps and roadblocks along the way. So how were you able to deal with those? Yeah, one of the hardest moments in my career, to be honest, to this day, because back then everything was personal. It was not business, everything was personal, mm -hmm. uh, was one of our early employees uh, had immigration issues. Mm -hmm. um, and we hadn't raised our first funding round yet. And so he came to me, he said, I've been working with you for a year and a half. You know, you, you pay me, you know, I think a fair wage, um, but I was offering an interview at Facebook and I, I'm asking for your blessing for me to take it. Mm -hmm. um, that Facebook example was real. That was my example, right? <laughs> um, and, I, and, I, and I looked at him and I said, and it kind of caught me off guard because we were in this sort of gun-ho early stage phase. But then he said, I, I need to apply for H1B, yeah. right? I can't afford my own lawyer, X, Y, Z. And so these are real reasons. And I, and I said, I, I support you in taking the interview mm -hmm. because as your founder and as your CEO, I can't guarantee you that I can take care of those things, right. you know, right now, right? And so... Um, he was a great engineer. I, I knew that when I said you can interview that he was going to get the job and he did. Um, and so he then resigned um, and we went to dinner and I thanked him for the year and a half. Um, that was really difficult because we we're only nine people. So we, we lost one out of nine employees uh, to a guy that I actually was a reference call for, for his next job. Mm -hmm. um, the next day we went into the office and we, and we wondered, are we going to lose two more? Mm -hmm. Right now, now this like mythical, hey, we're on a unicorn. That bubble has been bursted because somebody just left. 
that to a company that is a fantastic company and I'm, I'm happy for, for him and his career. Um, but that was really humbling because I knew that at that point, if we didn't hit certain milestones like a funding round mm-hmm. or a certain number of customer revenue, that it's just a matter of time before my team falls apart. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I was really, <laughs> it was a really tough time for me. Yeah, I mean, definitely we can relate to mm-hmm. in that sense as well. You know, like as a leader, like, so much of your perspective is reflected through your organization. It's crazy, like, how connected the two are. Yeah. You know, if you're feeling immature about something, your organization will be Im- immature in that, that way, too. Yeah. But people look to you as an example. Like, how is Jerry handling the situation? You know, mm-hmm. what is his mindset like? Is he a strong leader? Should we still follow him? Like, those are things that are huge factors at the very beginning mm-hmm. because all you have is a dream and a vision and, and you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 It's it's and it was, I think a lot of founders fight imposter syndrome, where it's like, yeah. hey, how do I know that I should be uh, the CEO? How do I know that you know the the vision that we have because it's so big, mm-hmm. is actually realistic and not wrong? And I I think that sometimes it's hard to know. Um, but that's why having like, um, this is where the consulting background I think helps. We have assumptions that you can test, mm-hmm. and you can iterate, and you can validate with the market. Right, you start to get proof points that mm-hmm. over time add up into a a, a larger. Uh, story. I think that's how we kept uh, ourselves sane. Um, and then one one more note about like leadership and culture. So mm-hmm. so that guy went to work at Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, but we still invited him to team dinners uh, that we had monthly. So because he was a part of the family, right? And so yeah. he may not be coding for us, but we still hung out together on the weekends. Yeah. And for me, that was a way to build that continuity to let my team know, you know, we're not just here temporarily. We're here building something real. That's mm-hmm. amazing. I love the family culture that you build. And you know, that fear is relevant with a lot of entrepreneurs, I think, because, you know, we always look for young professionals to join our companies, right? Because they hold all the talent and they are, you know, our future. But the scary thing with young entrepreneurs is, or young professionals is that like, if one of them leaves, other young professionals will see that too. And they get right. easily influenced like, oh, if that person's leaving to a bigger, better company, like maybe I should leave too, right? So that's right. yeah, that's like the scary thing about it. But it sounds like, you know, for you to create that family culture and for your other uh, employees to see that you were able to create that culture, bringing that person back into your, you know, company dinners, company outings and stuff like that, they were able to trust your leadership, you know, just seeing that and seeing, knowing that you were able to create that culture, then they're like, okay, like, you know, Jerry knows what he's doing and I trust him and I trust this family that I'm, I'm part of, so I'll stay too. Yeah, and then that guy at the dinners would be like, I actually don't want to work at Facebook. <laughs> I need to for my H1B. It's a, it's a reason that's unique to me, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. You, th- you think I'm hanging out with you guys just because I want to? Like, I really like you guys. Like, it's, um, and so I think that helped me sort of containerize that exposure point yeah. uh, for the broader team. Yeah, that's awesome. And I have a follow-up question with that point too. It's like, how do you handle team disagreements? Right? Mm-hmm. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Like we're a family. Even sometimes I argue with my siblings. You know, but at the end of the day, like I love them as a family. Um, how do you handle disagreements that get really heated among key team members? That's where having the, the North Star is important. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's where a little bit of formality um, for even early stage companies is important mm-hmm. because like product decisions are really hard. That's, that's one of the hardest things is like, should we build this feature or should we build that feature? And both features are good features. I'm not saying don't build that feature, but what's the order that we build them right. in, right? Mm-hmm. That's an area that even today we have a lot of heated debate about, hey, how do we prioritize? Mm-hmm. And I think having like a Northern Star of, hey, how do we tie this one decision 
that you and I both are right about, just in different ways, how does it tie to our bigger goals? Mm-hmm. And if we, if we can agree to the higher level goals and set that in the beginning of the year, then it helps us create a framework where every you know debate could be answered through. And I think that that was one way that we did it. Also, um, just like trust and like respect for the other person. Um, I, I remember for our first funding round, my co-founder was actually in his sister's wedding uh, and I needed him to actually approve one clause in a document so we can sign, right? Mm-hmm. So I had to call him and say, hey, can you step out of the wedding for just 10 minutes and do a call with an investor? Mm-hmm. Um, and he did. And I, I never forget how that made me feel. I, I thought, wow, we better we better become big or else like his sister's going to hit me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there was that underlying uh, trust and familiarity and friendship that, that bonds us. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you have to make these weird, ridiculous asks that you would never ask a nine to five employee to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had that background. And so that was good for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's so inspirational yeah. to hear about your journey and you know, our struggles and keeping things together because we can relate to in an Asian Hustle Network. We yeah. are very much going to the same things. Uh, it's a very similar story. Like we have our set of volunteers as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's similar to what you mentioned before. Like, you know, we had people mentioning to us that there's other opportunities out there. And we're at the point where it's like, okay, like how can we keep the team intact before it self-destructs? <laughs> yeah. You know? And, I, and I, what I would say to those uh, early employees is that, uh, especially in the Bay Area, there's always going to be a shiny object. There's, you know, growing yeah. up here, I've, I've been living here for you know, 25 plus years, right? There were, in the beginning days, it was like Sun Microsystems was mm-hmm. the hot company. Then it was like Cisco. And yeah. you go in, in the next generation, like, what the hell are these companies? Our parents worked there, right? These are, the, these are the companies of the generation. Then there was, you know, Apple and then Google. And now mm-hmm. Facebook is old. I remember when Facebook was new, right? There's always going to be the next shiny thing. Mm-hmm. But what motivates you? Right. Do, you, do you want to be one cognitive? I got a friend uh, who graduated Harvard who literally just works on the size of the button uh, in, in, in like uh, Yelp, like just the color of the button. It's <laughs> changing the color of the button. He's a really good engineer, but that's what he's been reduced down to. Right? So yes, you know, if, you, if you just want to do that, good for you. Right? Dry cleaning is taken care of, dental is covered, free lunch. You're a free lunch kind of guy. Then you're not a hustler. Go and work there. It's good for you. It's good for somebody else. But what motivates you? What's your impact? What's your lasting legacy? How do you make a difference so that when you're dead, people say, hey, that person did this. And if if you have that vision, then I think Asian Hustle Network is the place to be. Episode is the place to be. That's that's the way I, I see it. That's my actual honest opinion. Mm-hmm. And I, I, my, my sister, you know, has worked in corporate jobs uh, in most of her career, right? And she's just happy, uh, but she's also curious. Hey, what's out there, right? So I think the grass is green on the other side, but mm-hmm. at, at a certain age, mid-20s, late-20s, you maybe have, you maybe became a manager, engineering lead at a company, mm-hmm. and now you're looking at your 30s. And you're saying, hey, what does it mean to have a less, lasting legacy? Mm-hmm. We spend 80% of our waking hours at work. What do you want to be doing with those waking hours? Mm-hmm. And if that, need a cog in the wheel, then um, it's different than who I want to work with. Yeah, yeah. I think it's different for everyone. You know, our our group for Asian Hustle Network, it's mainly entrepreneurs, right? But we're all about this like hustle mentality. Mm-hmm. But there are also professionals in the workforce who also consider, you know, their nine to five, their hustle, right? They're very passionate about what they do. Who knows? Like maybe they want to climb the ranks to become CEO of a company one day, right? Yeah. So it just really depends, you know, like you said, Jerry, what you're passionate about and what you want to do. 
And so I'm also very curious, you know, when you were at Yelp, for example, you know, did you know that you wanted to become an entrepreneur? Were you working on other like freelance stuff too? Or were you just doing Yelp at the time as an entry level job? Yeah. Um, I was pretty young when I was at Yelp. So it was like go to happy hour on Fridays. Like mm-hmm. if I can make it a happy hour, that was pretty good. Um, <laughs> but my, my first hustle actually, um, how I even became an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't ever story. I'm actually a professional photographer. Yeah. And so, we heard about yeah. that. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> I was like, Hey, these lenses are really expensive because what people don't know is you have to buy the camera yeah. and the lens separately. Yes. Yes. Damn, that's expensive. Kit. Yeah. So it's always the worst. <laughs> that's right. So I was like, Hey, I have to buy all these lenses. Um, and they're like really expensive. And it, for me, it was a hobby, right? And for me, it was a hobby and I was a journalism major. And so I realized that I was in LA and there was like a lot of you know, pretty girls and guys that want to be models and musicians and uh, everyone's working in entertainment. And so I was like, Hey, if I, ch- if I charge them like for photo shoots, I can take the money and, and invest it back in my hobby. And maybe I can go to Chipotle and you know, cover that. Right. So um, that was the first thing that I did. And so when I, when I was at Yelp, I, I continued uh, being a photographer. Mm-hmm. A funny story here is my, my website's name was jerrytingphotography.com. Uh, it was hosted on GoDaddy. And so when we started Eversore, my co-founder, Jake, and his, Jake is your fault. Um, he, he went and created eversore.com on the same URL path as my photography website. <laughs> they deleted my website. And so I was like, oh my God, you deleted like 10 years of portfolio. Uh, now I have a new company, right? So um, that was our transition forced upon me. Wow. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I really love the the side hustle mentality mm-hmm. and the hustle mentality. It's mm-hmm. such a so ingrained with our community as well. Mm-hmm. And hearing that your success story, I think it'd be very inspirational for for others to listen to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I mean, we'd love to know. You know, like what plans do you have for the next ten years, mm-hmm. twenty years, thirty years? You know, I think Eversort is on a really good path right now, and especially because. You know, just a lot of contracts just going back and forth right now due to COVID. And, you yeah. know, I think a lot of people are looking into contract management systems. And so I'm sure you guys have a lot of plans in place right now due to what's been happening with, you know, the social climate and COVID and, you know, um, just what, what you guys are planning for Eversort. Yeah, so I think Eversort, you know, we've tripled our revenue through COVID. And so mm-hmm. we're one of the companies where... Mm-hmm. Not only were we not negatively impacted, we were actually uh, accelerated, right? And so I think based on that growth trajectory, you know, we, we, we're on path to become a unicorn uh, in, uh, I would say before 2030, but that's a long time from now. But I think in the next couple of years, you know, we, we can tell a really good growth story. Um, and so I'm really excited about that. Um, on a more personal note, uh, I like working with founders. I like um, making friends, right? I think... For a lot of people who are hustlers, they spend you know 80 hours a week hustling. Mm-hmm. But then I think what's really important is actually meeting people because for me, my first client was actually a professor at Harvard who also was a lawyer at a company, right? And so I think expanding your network, uh, especially something like Asian Hustle Network where it's people who have like-minded interests and backgrounds, uh, I'm looking to expand my network and see if I can help other entrepreneurs as well. Because when we first started, we started at a cohort uh, out of Harvard. There was 20 companies that started together. Uh, we still stay in contact. So wow. if you're going to be a hustler, hustle with other hustlers because you know we all, we all sort of think kind of similarly. Yeah, mm-hmm. amazing. Um, I would love to know, you know, if you were to go back in time, because I feel like just talking to you is like really amazing because you have this like confident aura in you and like, you know, us asking you questions like, 
Um, were there any times where you felt like you were crumbling inside? But it seems like you were confident throughout your whole journey. But I'm very curious to know, like, if you were to go back to a certain time, would there be anything that you would have done differently um, at any point in your life? It could be with Episore. It could be with, you know, any of your other hustles. You know, I wish I had a better answer, but I think it was such a, like a, in the early days, it was such a shit show as you went through it. Mm. Um, I, I think like it was just, I, I can say one thing was like, there was a lot of things that we made that were mistakes. We've had to pivot. We've had to uh, go to clients and say, Hey, we're going to be, you know, one week late or two weeks late. Yeah. Um, there were just so many challenges. So you, you add them all up and it's like, Oh my God, how do you, how do you not have a heart attack? Um, and so I, I think, you know, one thing that we could have done better is uh, we're going to take in more pictures. Oh. And that might have not been the answer you're, you're thinking, uh, but it's actually kind of fun now where we are today to look back and be like, hey, Jake, that was the uh, Greyhound. Yeah. And that was a toilet that I was sitting next to. And, and, and those are now memories, right? Yeah. Uh, I think when you're a first-time founder, you're going through the experience. You're just trying to survive. Yeah. And, and for us, um, we, if we took more pictures, I think today, you know, we are... Um, passing our hundredth employee, right? Mm-hmm. They have no idea what it's like in the, in the early days. Yeah. Uh, if we show them pictures, we have some pictures and they would say, wow, the one thing that's a common thread is you're a lot skinnier back then because uh, <laughs> this has been a, been a ride, right? And so I think cherishing the memories as you're kind of going through them, mm-hmm. um, even if you were, even if it's hard, mm-hmm. uh, I think that would have been a perspective I would have, you know, modified. Mm, love yeah. that, love that. that. That was not an answer I was expecting, but I really like it. Yeah, I really like that too because it's always great to remember your roots and your history, mm-hmm. especially you know, as you grow bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be harder to lose touch of you know while you're starting, mm-hmm. you know, and you want your employees to know mm-hmm. that too. That wasn't easy at the beginning. Yeah, and I think in, as a startup, every six months the company changes. Or mm-hmm. We, we yeah. literally every other person was new. Uh, yeah. Between our Series A and now, every other person left. You look, you look left. That person's new. Wait, who the yeah. heck is that person? What department are they in? Um, and so, because of COVID, we haven't been in the office in I think seven eight months. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And I went back recently to go and steal a monitor because uh, I wanted it at home. <laughs> I looked at the whiteboards we have in our conference rooms, uh-huh. and it was like delivery deadline March thirty first. Wow. It was like almost like the office was frozen in time. Mm-hmm. Where it kind of felt like uh, I am legend. I felt like I was Will Smith with my dog walking around. Everything was like zombies, right? Uh, yeah. But you see the whiteboard and you see the handwritings of your employees frozen from seven months ago. Wow. Uh, and for me, that was a really, really weird experience because the company has changed even since then. Yeah. Right? And so the one thing that I would just kind of share as a tidbit, if you will, is uh, if you're going to be building a successful hustle, um, celebrate the little wins, cherish them as they come because you'll overnight you'll be a hundred employees and you'll have an HR department, a marketing department. Uh, when the heck do all these people come here? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you'll, you'll miss when you're six people and all eating M&Ms and chicken McNuggets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really important. Celebrate the little milestones. And I think that's also important for your team as well, because, you know, if they don't get to celebrate the milestones, then it's like, where are we really going? Right. And in speaking of, you know, um, as Brian said, you know, going back to why you started in the first place, you know, why did you start in the first place? And what is your why? Like, why did you start all of this to begin with? It's a great question. Um, I think for me, I'm like a problem solver. 
Mm. Uh, I'm always the guy, and this could be an annoying part of my personality, actually. But when I something is inefficient, I always want to make it more efficient. Mm-hmm. So, like, my, my mom, like, she'll, she'll be cooking, and then, like, her stove would be, like, over the fire. I'd be like, no, no, no. From a process perspective, you should put the stove on the left-hand side because as you cook uh, and you bring vegetables from the left to the right, it's more efficient. Right. You across your body. Mm-hmm. It's just the way that my, my mind is. And so when I went to law school, and they were like, Jerry, sit down and read hundreds of pages manually. Mm-hmm. Like there was a violent, emotional, hell no type of reaction <laughs> that, that I had that I'm sure a lot of us have had in, in your work. But for me, it was not just hell no, but like, I think I can fix that problem. Mm-hmm. Right? And then the next question is, if I think I can fix that problem, how much money can I make? Mm-hmm. And then if you have those two things, then you have a company. So mm-hmm. uh, you have a product and you have a go-to-market motion, right? So. Yeah. For me, I just think that's just the way that I think about it. I'm, I'm not a hugely patient person when it comes to repeating things over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Uh, and so I, I just came across a problem that I absolutely hated and it was gonna be my job. And I was like, definitely not. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Yeah, that's, it's really um, awesome. Just like going into your mindset, just like learning about, you know, like why you do certain things. Um, and on that note, you know, we'd love to know what is one advice that you would give to an aspiring entrepreneur? Because in AHN, we have um, 65,000 65, members and a lot of them are aspiring entrepreneurs. Um, there's a lot of Asian uh, focused on- online communities, but they are mostly, you know, just well-established entre- entrepreneurs. And we want to open this up to, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs who are interested in the topic, you know, and so what would be that one advice that you can give? Yeah, I think it's really, really important when you look at your idea or your venture mm-hmm. to know which of two buckets does it fall into. Mm-hmm. There are VC-backed companies and then there's cash cows and they literally cannot be more different. And, and what I mean by that is if it's a VC-backed company, profitability is not the main measurement, right? It's about total addressable market. It's about how do you scale? How do you get to a hundred customers quickly, right? But if you're a cash cow company, then it's about uh, free cash flow management, mm-hmm. right? And I think for a lot of founders, they don't know which bucket they're in, right? So I'll give an example. M- my company is a high growth company. Mm-hmm. We haven't made a dollar of profit. And we probably won't for the next couple of years because that's not what we're optimizing for. We're trying to win the market. Right. A very different company, a very different personality for, you know, I have a board above me, for example. Mm-hmm. People say, Jerry, it must be so easy to work for yourself. I don't work for myself. Mm-hmm. I have a board above me. I manage investors. I manage clients. I right. report my employees right so that's one kind of entrepreneur the other kind of entrepreneur is um you know i want to open a boba shop i want to open a laundromat i want to open a hundred dentist offices and become Mm -hmm. the dentist mongol right i'm not saying one is better than the other but you need to know which bucket does your business fall into because Mm -hmm. depending on that if you get that decision wrong uh, you can do everything wrong. You can read all these startup books, but you're not really a startup. You're a cash flow business, which is a great business, more profitable uh, and, and quicker returns, but you should be doing your business completely differently. So mm-hmm. just think carefully about that. There's not a right answer. Not one is better than the other. Not everything has to be a startup. Mm-hmm. 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 Amazing. Brian does real estate, right? That's a great business, right? That's not a startup, but it's, <laughs> it's great right? from a business perspective. So uh, I think it's knowing time. where you are. Yeah, it definitely frees up my time so I can do Asian Hustle Network. Mm-hmm. That's so right, which right is a now, startup. Yeah. Early stages, always broke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of struggles and lots, lots of volunteers. So McNuggets. Cool. McNuggets. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. All right. Well, 
it is at the top of the hour. Um, is there any closing statements that you have, Jerry? And how can our listeners find out more about you online? Yeah, you can have me on LinkedIn. Um, if you Google Jerry Ting Evasor, there's a bunch of articles uh, that come up and you can just add me on LinkedIn. I respond to most uh, people that, that message for help uh, or just want to network. Um, and one thing that I'll share is I think uh, Asian Hustle Network is a, is a very meaningful project. Uh, when I moved to the East Coast, uh, I was exposed uh, and my co-founder is Jewish. And I realized the network that you know, the, the Jewish community has in New York and Boston. And I, and I think about the Asian network and I think about how you know, we think there's differences between Korean, Chinese, Taiwanese, and Chinese is different. Hong Kong is different than China. Like we're competing uh, against ourselves, uh, but we don't unify. But in the reality, uh, in in the U.S., like we're all Asian, we're all yellow, right? And so, I think for something like Asian Hustle Network, the reason why I respond to LinkedIn messages is I I want to be a part of a community that stands for something. And I think what you guys are doing is awesome, and I encourage you guys to to keep going and uh, for everyone to get involved. Awesome! Thank you so much for the kind words. Yeah, thank you so much, Jerry. Yeah, thank you, Jerry. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, it was great being on. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Hey, guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.